by mixing and matching and just like stacking every effect possible, you would die. Right. But you could do it. <laughs> and that's something I like with magic. I like magic that offers great power, but at like, you know, the great risk of uh, hurting oneself. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample of today's conversation with Robin over at Shrike Tabletop on Twitter. Today, we talk about their new Era of Silence RPG that's coming to Kickstarter on November 9th. If you want to hear a bonus and explicit conversation with Robin after the main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every week, as well as the entire catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Let's get on with the conversation. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. As I said in the intro, we are joined today by a very special guest. We have Robin B. from at Shrike Table Chop joining us today at the Dungeons & Dinners table. Robin, thank you so much for joining me at the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So for the uninitiated, I know that you are working uh, with a team of people developing the Era of Silence uh, TTRPG, but for the uninitiated, uh, who is Robin and Shrike Tabletop, and what do you do in the TTRPG space? Well, Shrike Tabletop is for people. Uh, it started as me, Robin, and my friend Dan, uh, he, him, um, and Dan had this really cool idea for a dice system that ended up being Thorn, T-H-O-R-N-E. Um, and that's a foundational thing that we actually work on a lot with our products. But the biggest game that Thorn is built on right now is called Era of Silence. That's what we're all working on together. And uh, that team is four people. That is me and Dan doing the rulesy stuff and the story stuff. Uh, we have Cora Taylor. Uh, doing some more writing um, and we have Moss Sugar Mountains who is our artist um, and uh, I've seen I, I, you were gracious enough to get me a little a little preview into the book and or the books actually and they look awesome I'm really excited to to see this build up some and I, I gotta kind of just right out the gate ask uh, the system is uh, the thorn system that you mentioned is a roll low system. And I, I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that a little bit. Yeah, this is perpetually why I wish Dan didn't work a nine to five and could come to these things because Dan uh, made the system. But the idea of thorn is there's four components to any role. You, your uh, quality, your attribute is your type of die that you're rolling. The amount of uh, skill training you have is the amount of dice you roll. So if you have rank two in stealth, you would roll two dice, um, two grace dice, because that's the associated quality. And you want to hit a certain target number, but rolling low. What that does is in practice, it makes it so that different characters can be good at the same skill check be for different reasons, either their die type or their the amount of dice they have and not any one player is always going to be the best at a given check. 
so it kind of creates it stops this kind of island gameplay that you can see sometimes where it's like well it's the bard's moment everyone else yeah, pulls out their phone <laughs> we're walking into we've we've got to negotiate with the pirate lord so uh you're up you do the talking you always yeah. talk or if I'm called to talk, like, can I get that? Can you help? Can you use help action? Yeah, and, can I like? There's no reason why the person with the best number in a linear game shouldn't be the one going, and that's kind of something that we avert a little bit. And also, it you you know your dice rolls when you roll them, so it isn't hard at all to get like when you succeeded. So it's also a pretty easy like uh, feedback. Right. Yeah. So you don't have to kind of wait as much for the what's my target DC? Did I succeed or fail? Mm -hmm. You kind of know when you're rolling, if you're you're in the right zone or not. And I, I really appreciate that. Like, I think that that is something that as much as a, you know, kind of the de facto D and D is a narrative game. It's a storytelling game. It does tend to lose some of that, uh, narrative focus, when you have characters that become pigeonholed in a moment outside their moment. Yeah. And yeah, and it can be difficult. Yeah. You, you see a lot of that. And we're still, I would say in a lot of ways, like with 5e, we're contemporaries, not like maybe like with that size of 5e, but like with the idea of like a mostly combat focused game that has other story elements and uh, I, I think we lean into it. I, I think right. our, com- our our combat is rapid and tactical, but takes about 30 minutes uh, to resolve like a full fight. And that's not like watered, like that's with actions and everything. Like, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I did appreciate that as well in looking through the system, the emphasis on fast combat and... It, it, I don't think that it dilutes that any. I think that it's still tactical. I think that it, it feels like there is still a lot of room for big moments and big mistakes while also not kind of pushing the entire focus of the system or the rule set to cover for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like a lot of systems tend to combat is the most complex part of a lot of games because narrative elements or role-playing is very open in a lot of games, but then that tends to mean that the whole book is combat. And, and so that's all you're learning. Yeah. And we definitely, I wouldn't say we're still a combat game for sure. A big thing that we would really like to see is that, uh, characters are, as good out of combat as they are in combat and part of that is a character creation system that like breaks up the uh three like it breaks up the idea of a class into three separate parts which is your archetype your uh career and that's like the rough skill training that you have and your equipment and then your combat specialty so you're never choosing whether you want to be like a good scholar and also good with a rifle. Now, you can't choose to be not good with any combat at all. It, it That's not the game. <laughs> but Right. Um, yeah, like, it, you'll always have ability in and out of combat is something that we really want. We don't ever want someone to be like, well, I spent all my time trying to be a barbarian, so now I can't be good with machines. Um, and the modular, modular character creation on that note, like, I, I hope when people see it that they'll... I mean, there's like 15,000 possible builds 
but it uh goes pretty quickly uh and you uh end up with a character that is always uniquely yours whether that be a wizard in power armor that punches stuff uh alchemist with underworld contacts and a military past or any other number of builds kind of a I, I i don't remember the exact name of it i'll have it pulled up at the moment but a somewhat like half spore half gel creature with an anti-magic aura was something that <laughs> kind of kind of caught my caught my attention real quick there uh yes so. the sporeborn are a new species yeah. that we've added and uh we're uh, we are in open playtest right now so a lot of the time when you pick up the book it's gonna be a little bit different than when you picked it up last uh until we release our final version, which we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, the Sporeborn, uh, their entire thing is like that they, they're they a newer build, and they're also new in the lore. And uh, in this world, they aren't made by the same force of creation that everything else is. And so they're a little bit, they mess with magic, because all magic is creation magic. Right. Um, oh yeah, I guess this... <laughs> I don't talk about the story enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, please do. Please give it, you know, yeah. um, where your focus is, lead in, lean into it. Yeah, I, I would say, th- I think a big appeal of the era, of, the, of not just Thorn, but Era of Silence is the setting. Uh, era of Silence is set in the Era of Silence. It's a time period in this world called Vian, which takes place uh like a thousand years after the gods have just like completely uh not going to use my one f-bomb i'm saving that for the pg-13 <laughs> rating uh, uh, saving it for something good uh but the uh the gods of this world the divine council like ran this like global theocracy that like it kept order and you know uh the, the you know the, the nations lived in harmony until the fire nation attacked uh the gods disappear all their prophets die because they were being kept alive by like, you know, these deep divine magics and the world kind of, I don't say, well, I say collapses, but it definitely it's a bit of an apocalypse, you know, and uh, society restructures itself. A new empire rises up. This empire has mastered alchemy. Then that empire and most of the world gets destroyed when an earthquake on the size of like California's big one. If the big one set off Yellowstone, Right, which like it probably would. Yeah, <laughs> let's be clear. At this point, at this point, it would all just it would set off Yellowstone, and then that would set off New Madrid. Yeah, you just the whole U.S. had fractured three places. <laughs> yeah, and the idea is that the world just gets buried in ash, and uh, it's very much a post-apocalyptic setting, but not so much like a classic, like you know, grim dark one. People are sticking together. It's about surviving, and like people are surviving thanks to, like this scientific like. It, I say scientific alchemy. I explain what that means in the book, but it's science by their standards. Right. <laughs> um, it's uh, it, it it's a form of alchemy that's created like you know technologies that have like helped kind of launch this like fantasy world into the future. So it's a future fantasy setting, but it's not like a cyberpunk like Shadowrun future fantasy setting. Right. We say chemipunk. Uh, yeah. It's no, not, I it's, think it's, that's it's awesome. I think it, it's not leaning into necessarily steampunk. But I am a big fan of, yeah, like an alchemy punk where mm-hmm. where the line of advancement is from kind of a chemistry and uh, like hints of magic without being 
overtly just mystical magic is all of the answer to everything like having some science base down in it where there is some understanding of how the world works even if the world works in a magical way mm-hmm. being able to manipulate that magic through some kind of fantasy chemistry i think is a really appealing for me i don't see enough of that like my two my two wishes is and we're getting like edging closer with every iteration is that the the alchemist or the artificer becomes a core class in D&D like just just you don't need Eberron to have the artificer it's okay <laughs> yeah i am not the biggest fan of 5e these days as right. anyone who sees my twitter knows but uh i my favorite class is the artificer um like just like there, there's actually a there, there is a career in Era of Silence that is built on the Unearthed Arcana Artificer's uh, item enchantment ability. Yes, uh, <laughs> which uh, I uh, played that build. Uh, it's the only character character I've ever given up. Uh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. because I was I, I, th- there was a force of a uh, character combat happening. I didn't like that, so I was like, well, I'm the problem here. I should go. But right. the, the actual, mean, the Artificer was great. Yeah, 5e Artificers have gone through so many. Well, and even 3.5 had the issue too, where it just keeps getting rewritten because I they don't want it powerful enough to be a core class, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. But then that always sticks it in this weird edge case scenario where like in 3.5, if you didn't have months of downtime between adventuring, the class was pointless. And... 5e is a little bit better, but no, I I tend to agree. I love games where artificers and alchemists are useful, but also that that also doesn't mean that it needs to have railroads and lightning trains, right? Like it can be, you can have science and magic alongside of each other without having to have, you know, great flying machines. And that's fine if you do, but like it's not required. Yeah, and like we we touch on that like a, a thing in like the world now is like they they've just started space travel, but like right. space in like this world where like the fundamental questions of space are different, like because like you know the questions of the gods are not you know did they exist, but you know where'd they go? And in theory, one of those gods came from the void, which is space. Uh, but we yeah, gotta find I, him. <laughs> <laughs> that that has been a thought of a campaign. I, I thought about doing <laughs> Yost Spelljammer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I've, I've. That's the other thing. It's like I've been dying for, because even the the original Spelljammer rules had so much to be desired. Like I love high tech fantasy, but that leans into both. Like, because usually you'll see like Shadowrun, where it's mm. mostly tech, and there's like a cut. Like you cast quote unquote spells, but it's ninety nine percent a cyberpunk thing. Or you see things that are like like Spelljammer, which is your spaceship has a catapult. And I'm like, we have a ninth level wizard that made this thing. We don't need a catapult, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh... like, give me something in the middle. Like, there's so much room to to have fun with that genre that I think is really just untapped potential. And I love to see that era of silence is starting to lean into that. Yeah, I think anyone who's like craving like, I think the line we use is uh, like squad based chemi punk action a thousand years into the gods long side. So like really it, it, it's definitely like meant to be like a teamwork oriented, like tactical combat game with like this very, I don't want to say weird fantasy, but like chemi punk, like chemical fantasy, future fantasy edge to it. 
And it's also written by like three fourths queer people, so it's also super gay. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we yeah, need more of that, that too. Yeah, so. and like I, I don't think there's a lot of combat gay. I, I feel like there's not a lot of combat. I've, bit of a tangent here but i've been thinking about this recently i don't see a lot of combat games written by like people who aren't like you know super like delta the delta greens of the world written by like pretty macho dudes who uh uh valiant uh, valiant quest by rosalind's uh chapman uh another good uh gay written um uh combat focused rpg just because i gotta call out my girls but uh, oh, yeah. shout them uh, out i got no problem here <laughs> uh, uh but yeah definitely I, I i do like that we can have like these images of like these like women and like these you know very you know visibly not straight oftentimes people uh you know just like armed to the teeth and ready to go uh and that's actually working on the cover right now for the uh for the final book because right now we've got we've got two books right now but they're gonna be one book when they're done um it's just that uh for file size right now for the open play keeping test the, and keeping the rules kind of separate for testing purposes and whatnot yeah so. I, I i i i i don't mind if a player reads both but like it's it, generally speaking like the narrator only needs to know the stuff in the narrator's guide uh etc <laughs> right well and i i <laughs> So I, I, I you'll, I'll have to apologize because I, I don't remember exactly. Um, are your Sporeborn, uh, do they reproduce asexually? I'm not the principal writer on the Sporeborn. Okay. But I, <laughs> no, uh, no, actually, you know, we're no, talking no, about you know queer representation here. And, there, is, there is, there is, a lore, there is a lore answer about that. I think because I, I, so Cora Taylor, our newer writer, uh, is the one who like mostly worked on the Sporeborn. Um. I kind of touched them up and made sure they fit into the world that existed because most of the world of Vian is me. Uh, the Sporeborn, yeah, they, they because the Sporeborn, they come from little cultures of fungus. And there's apparently, according to Cora Taylor, there is a council of Sporeborn that watch these little mushrooms gain, like, intelligence as they go from, like, uh, because there's also, there's also, like, a drone below Sporeborn that's not sentient. So they go from like this kind of like animalistic intelligence to like when they like just imagine like three uh I don't know if you do photos in your description, so I could get you the photo of the sporeborn with the bird hat the, the, the bird helmet sporeborn. Uh three of those like bird looking robots dancing around one of these uh mushrooms when they figure out it's alive. <laughs> like that's how they've described <laughs> the sporeborn. That's how they descri- that's how Cora that's how she described the uh birthday ceremony of a sporeborn to me. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm also a huge fan of like, you know, any any time that there's a little bit more obscure, like I've wanted to I've wanted to expand upon. I, I use like instead of goblins in in straight fantasy games, I'll often start with like myconoids. Like mm-hmm. I love mushroom people. I just it, they're always great. So mushroom people, chemists and artificers that celebrate the sentience of a of a tiny spore is I'm all on that. So, <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you have uh, at least some uh, hooks as far as uh, a lot of the lore writing in the system, but do you want to expand any upon uh, what your specific contributions to Era of Silence have been? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what I haven't done. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> like, I, that's not to say, like, I... 
it's a team effort for sure. And I'm so grateful to everyone for working on the project. I am I am definitely the person who does the most on strike per week. Uh at the moment, I don't really do a whole lot else, so I work about 35 hours a week on this, sometimes 40, um, just working on EOS, and that's, uh, it started as mostly story work. Um, the world of Vian, the stories that, like, became the era of silence, had a different name for a long time, but started with my first D&D game when I was, like, 12. Um, I'm 25 now, so it's been with me for a while. Um, and yeah, like I, and actually that was with Dan, my co-founder, my, he was the, my first DM. Uh, it's a little fun story. Uh, I super want to get him on one, one an interview sometime. Uh, but yeah, uh, he, uh, you know, I, I kind of started like ripping parts of his world and then things that he never really thought about, like, oh, the gods are missing. That was really just him like explaining why, like we couldn't just summon a God, but and then, long story short, I, obviously, when I'm 12, it's not a good... It, it becomes a good story as I, as a writer, grow and realize like how to make it more complex. It becomes less about one character and more becomes about the world around that character. And yeah, so most of the world of Vian that you see, you can presume is me. Uh, it, that's, that's changing, though, and I'm excited to see that's changing with uh, new writers like Coralie and Moss working on it. Um and i didn't do thorn that's all dan i suggested how thorn might work like how it, we might justify that kind of like dice interaction as like the different intelligences like different abilities thing um and a lot of the era of silence like uh a lot of the improvements past the first uh two editions were made um Dan's very instrumental in like the core writing of it and does a lot of like the tech side, but like the book itself, if you're reading it, mostly me. Uh, at least like I, I've touched every section and like updated every section a fair amount. Um, right on. No, so it, yeah. it sounds like so this evolved out of uh, your your kind of first was was that you and I think you kind of answered this. So, but just to dive a little deeper, your first introduction like this game being somewhat related to some of your first D&D games was were those games your first introduction into TTRPGs yeah yeah when I say Dan's my first DM I mean like my first like though we started with the 4e D&D like starter set okay um I yeah I I went on a little journey with that I played 4e I played D&D next I jumped off of D&D next into indie games before 5e came out I actually didn't okay. play 5e for a few years until after it came out. Uh, but I remember I, I work, I used to work for a convention in the Maryland area that uh, I saw the 5e release. Um, and I saw just D&D being popular again. And like coming from the 4e period was right. like, oh, all right. Like it survived. <laughs> it made it through that. Especially because <laughs> like, D&D Next did not look good new no, no it didn't do 40 any favors for sure <laughs> <laughs> uh well it was supposedly we, whatever we were in was like also considered like the 5e play test there was a, we played like the, the last DD thing i played for like years was like a weird drow story where like a bunch of anyone who's playing a guy drow was subservient to the women drow and like it just created a weird table dynamic because then like you had people who were cross-playing and not the crossplay. There's nothing wrong with crossplay. I can. Right. I obviously can't judge. 
but <laughs> I, uh, I uh, there was just it was a weird module for like a mainline Wizards release that I think I would right. love to like look back into now that I think no one remembers it. <laughs> like let's look at let's look at this row with the 2021 analytical eye and see what we can find yeah because like any drow story is already doomed by that right by that oh list. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you've had uh you know assorted history so far with this and uh i also noticed one of the key features that really stuck out to me when reading through the era of silence kind of rules was it seems to me like your magic system is a lot more open and kind of forgiving in the sense that it's less about the specifics of a particular spell. And it seemed to be more like the a system for creating spells that really teaches the underlying rules of the system and then allows you to go from there. Is Am I getting that gist properly? I think it's a charitable read. Um, magic is another one. Uh, that's that's definitely an area where, like, you asked me just how much I did. I probably should have said not magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, magic was. I, I, you said so. I <laughs> no, that's, that's that's my bad. That's, no. my, that's, that's my bad. That's my bad. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan is by far the more into magic one of the two of us. I am very much like. I think I posted a meme like I love all my mechanics equally. It's not not magic. <laughs> uh, I, i'm kidding i'm kidding uh, i'm i'm I, I shouldn't be riffing when i'm trying to uh tell people my game's good uh so <laughs> yes so uh those who are familiar with the term vancian magic you know the idea of like discrete spells might see that at least in our offensive magic area we really tried to do like a build your own spell system now a lot of this is like inspiration from savage worlds which yes. does that very well. Um, I would say if you read our book, you you would know that we read a lot of Savage Worlds. But <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not so much because of the fact that the dice are so weird. But, uh, and, you know, it's not about target. It's not about modifiers. But anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, you as a spellcaster uh, can cast the most powerful spell in the game and that by mixing and matching and just like stacking every effect possible, you would die. Right. But you could do it. <laughs> and that's something I like with magic. I like magic that offers great power, but at like, you know, the great risk of uh, hurting oneself. Um, yeah. A, a risk reward scenario is really kind of better. Cause I don't think ma like spell slots, there's no risk in wild magic. There's a little risk in, but mm -hmm. Only barely. <laughs> my my favorite uh, literature magic system that I can think of right now, and this is going to be horribly basic of me, uh, I really like an Aragon when he casts a fire spell and someone's like, you shouldn't have done that. You might have died. <laughs> like, I want that level of, like, severity for, like, just anyone trying to cast magic. Um, no, and I think that that brings... It, it, it's a way for, because the, the rule system, like you said, has, it seems to offer a lot of, it gives you the tools to create the spells that you want to make instead of giving you 200 pages of very specific spells. Yeah. And, um, and we, uh, and we, uh, we definitely build on, like we try to give with all of these modular things, we're trying to also make sure there are lists of like pre-made things. 
so that people who like aren't into the customizing don't feel like oh well i can't do anything like there's a little list of like here's a few basic ideas of spells you say what they do because they're really just going to be like different kinds of bolts and blasts and like right. sniper rifles uh like magical weapons um yeah so like i would yeah when you're going through that like see how those spells are built if you're not really getting it and like see how the cost works because like what you're trying to do all the time is you're trying to find ways to lower your like you're basically like lessening your chance of success and spending uh, like upping the amount of stamina which is like your uh combat action economy you use to mix and match effects so that you can have and, and and then yeah you can have like the uh triple blast that is like an ice storm and like it's piercing and it downs everyone in like that radius um there's no health points don't get shot um <laughs> it's pretty much yeah well no and i think that i think that it it so one of the things that I really try to encourage people, I've done multiple episodes on this, um, on this show and in just my general conversations, I feel like I'm always bringing it up because I really feel like it's underutilized is really owning your magic in a sense that like it doesn't, a lightning bolt doesn't have to be a lightning bolt. It can be any form of energy that is cast maybe from the sky or you could change the color like the the rules are one thing. The visual representation is another. And I think that when you sort of discombobulate the foundational rules for how a spell is created from the spell itself in the back of the book, when you're encouraging players to create their own spells, that allows them i think more easily to slip into what it's going to look like whereas a list of spells in the back of the book have a visceral representation of eight magic missiles swarm from your fingertips well but it, it doesn't say what a magic missile is but i think people tend to get stuck in even if it's just their thought everybody will hear it differently where if you say that your magic missiles are you know, little pink demons that fly through the air and cackle and laugh as they seek their targets out. Now everybody at the table knows what your magic looks like. And I think that in a system that encourages you to build the rules for your spells, that that kind of already sets that foundation to also build in the flavor of your character and give you some, some opportunity for a narrative moment in a combat action. And I, and I really appreciate that. For sure. One thing I'm hoping to maybe do with not this update, which comes out in a week from when we're, we're recording, but I think a couple months from when this will air. Uh, I, I want to, because I, I think, the, I love the customization, but I also think it'd be cool if we had like little like, uh, just as like a peripheral thing you can download off our website, like uh, spell sheets. So like you can if you if you have an effect you like you can just write it down as a favorite, um, which you can already do anyway on like any notepad anywhere ever. But um, <laughs> I, I I think well it would saving be some of the yeah. best ones you know yeah. <laughs> it's that's one of those things where I mean I'm sure that the the people that are listening to this episode will have seen more than likely me and hopefully you as well uh, post about this some um, is that 
that playtester feedback can be important in in getting some maybe some green lighting in something like a spell sheet, some really cool effects or, or named spells and things of the like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, 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 in the next few uh, in the next uh, few months, we'll be adding like a, a few more. Just like yeah, like some pre-made things, like pre-made, like not necessarily like pre-made characters. We'll, we'll have those in the back of the book probably, but more like uh, here's a quick way to build this kind of character if you want to do this thing, uh, or here's quick gear choices to make. Yeah, just more uh, because uh, gear is also I, th- I think we haven't super touched on that, but gear is also kind of template based. It it's a very templatey kind of modular game. Like the the goal with era of silence is that your character is as uniquely yours as we can make it without making it so freeform that it's not fun to play (laughs) well it definitely seems like there's also a lot of leaning in toward character creation and in a lot of ttrpgs i will when i'm when i'm looking for rules to homebrew with i will largely skip through character creation because it's always an hour it's always a huge monumental task. And it seems like while there is a lot of room for infinite customization in air of silence, that there is also a lot of fast tracking available for, if you just want to jump in and play like maybe your first game where you don't know what kind of character you want to play. Let's do a one shot of air of silence. We can ramp through character creation very quickly by using a lot of these template based systems. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to, uh, and the fact that it's like modular is make those options are pretty quick. I think with this little update with, with like some quick, like, you know, quick paths, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to call them, but like, you know, like if you want to play like the standard thief, here's what you would do. If you want to play, this, right. the, if you want to play like a techno mage, here's what you'd do. Um, and just guide people through with like, not even like the full thing, but just the six options because it's like character creation is really only like six or seven steps. Um, and those steps are mostly just pick a thing from a list. <laughs> right. So, well, yeah. and that's, and that's like, I love that you have those two customization paths. I think it's something that five E was trying to do and leaned into later in the book when they, when you get to like background and things like that, some of that seems to be, it's almost like they were doing it as they went, but all of that was visible in, in the five E guide. But I think that that is a really good way to lean into where here is a base template. If you just want to play a standard thief, if you want then get this background, get these stats, get these skills, and then pick from one or two of a few custom things to make it yours. But if you want to customize it, here's the whole thing. Here's the yeah. whole underlying structure. And so I, I like that that is something that Era of Silence kind of also leans into. So it wouldn't be a Dungeons and Ditters episode if we did not try to bring in a little bit of discussion about food. So whether you cook for yourself or enjoy the cooking of others, uh, what is what is a notable relationship that you have with the uh, the way that us all human people get energy in our system? I just took a class on this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my business writing class. I'm I, I'm a senior in college. My business writing class was about food journalism. Uh, I, didn't re- I didn't realize what I had signed up for, but it was a pretty good class. Uh, <laughs> that seems really fun. That I, I didn't know that you could, like, 
I, it's I'm so far removed now. Like, God, I feel old um, just from being as far removed from college as I am. And, and where I where I went wasn't necessarily the most notable. So our class selection was pretty basic. But uh, a specific, like not just not just a journalism, but specifically a food journalism class. What is that like? Oh, it was um, <laughs> it was uh, okay. I it, it, was <laughs> it the, the, being a senior while also working on like this game while also trying to like cobble together a living and pay my rent. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but it was a. What I, I think what I was going for with that is that I've been reflecting a lot on my connection with food recently, and and it that that class really asked me to reflect on my connection with food. Um, like one to, to go back to your original question. Um, one I would say my connection with food is I used to think I could never cook until just one day I started cooking, and I got really into it, and I still cook now when I have the mental energy. What was the inspirational dish that that caught your transition? Do you remember? Maple baked salmon. Um, anyone who is on YouTube's cooking section has probably seen a video from You Suck at Cooking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I learned in like almost every recipe I'm going to mention today is some variant of something that he originally posted. And then I made... Not better, but like more to my taste. Right. Uh, like the maple baked salmon, I, I I would do maple baked salmon for friends, and then we would do board game nights uh, yes. after eating the salmon. Uh, yeah, salmon, like some sides, uh, and uh, Zaya Legends of the Drift System, which is my favorite board game. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I actually that's a huge thing to call out. I haven't checked in on uh, you second cooking in a, in a long while, but I remember. When that, like, I've caught so many of these more, they started as fringe channels and then kind of hit either a cult status or a mainstream, like binging with Babish, uh, uh, what is it? Jordan Freeman. Um, and I think that the first name is wrong. It's a J name. That's all I remember. Uh, maybe Jason, but there, and, and you suck at cooking a few others. Like I found you suck at cooking when it was like a third episode. Oh and, Yeah. But but it's actually so like I I love that channel so much and think that a lot of the things that I have tried to express in the past they express really well is that like cooking can be sloppy like if there's somebody who proves that your kitchen does not have to be phenomenal like it's that channel like that mm -hmm. channel is a a electric stove and you know at a at a one piece of countertop and just throwing things to the wall literally <laughs> until they explode into other objects <laughs> but but i think it's such a good way to introduce both simple and complex cooking ideas like they'll often put in multiple strategies for cooking the same thing which is something that i think is really missing in a lot of instructional cooking like like blogs right like you read a, a recipe you have the like four paragraphs of how it made that person feel at their grandmother's house and then eight lines of ingredients and then four steps to make it but they don't talk about what goes wrong what substitutions can you have as a broke college student like what what is available to make this yours? Where can it go wrong? How do I know if I mess this recipe up? 
you never get any of that. And I think in a lot of these uh, more fringe or cult classic kind of YouTube cooking channels, there is a lot more of that offered where you get to see mistakes. You get to see variations all in the same video with kind of an entertainment background. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, the maple baked salmon was, I think, the first one I like really watched. I, I saw no, I, I saw some other ones because I've made the guacamole from like the first episode, yep. and that's still my go-to recipe. Uh, they released another one later, but I wasn't nearly as into that one. Um, I I'm trying to think if there's anything that I didn't le- that I know that I didn't learn directly from that channel. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm I mean, just I, saying I. I all the songs are what yeah. stick in my head. Like I remember fewer of the recipes and more of the songs of like, <laughs> and just pieces. Like I remember corn flying through the air with wings, like, or like shucking corn. There's a whole episode about that. The song ends in shucking corn. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, like, and definitely like my, my father's from like Oklahoma. So like, I, I've got like some like culinary roots uh, in the sense that like, at least with like Americana fair, you know, uh like uh really good at i'm not great at fried chicken but i know i could be if i practice because we've got a family recipe there's like a family pancake recipe uh gotta have a solid pancake recipe yeah (laughs) they're super Um, useful (laughs) uh most of mine are you know uh i've baked some but that's a little bit you know i'm uh, not a baker i've i've talked about before that uh uh, the lady of the house does the baking and I appreciate every pound I gain when, mm. when she decides to cook. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm entirely like competent. I will not burn it. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> you can follow a recipe. Yeah, I can follow a recipe. I, I'm trying to think of like things I've made recently that were like, well, I helped with some muffins, but yeah, I just, I haven't cooked too much recently. I've been thinking about getting back into that because it's very, it's just a very empowering feeling to like really make is. a thing and be like, I'm eating this thing or even better if I'm making it for friends, but it's because I haven't had a chance to entertain for friends. That I really haven't cooked as much. No, I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I've, I've talked a lot on this podcast before about when it's just me cooking for me, it is not cooking at mm. all it, it could barely be described as, as cooking maybe defrosting if we're lucky uh but it, the the real experience is in community and friends and it's not that necessarily that i'm just trying to impress people it's just more fun for everyone and i think mm. that that being able to cook for somebody else one it's just hard to cook for one or two people um especially when you i, I come from a background where we cook for hundreds of people at a time so paring down recipes is difficult but also just the inspiration and the sort of drive that i get when there's other people around that i can cook for again not that i'm trying to impress them but i'm trying to give them a good experience Mm -hmm. they don't need to eat boiled chicken breast the way i would or microwaved chicken breast you know like i will only subject my own body to that because i'm lazy (laughs) that's more or less my reasoning yeah like you know i'll just like throw in some pizza rolls into the microwave i (laughs) i probably should stop if somebody's coming over we're gonna oven bake these pizza rolls all right we're (laughs) gonna go all out (laughs) i i mean that's that's a lot more if someone's coming over it's a lot more likely i'm gonna be like all right what what can i cook with what i have 
Um, or at least like something like uh, Brian David Gilbert's like pepcorn or something like a snack yeah. or uh, <laughs> uh, no pepcorn is great. Like, and that's a, that's a, that's a shout out and a half actually. Like he, he dabbled into cooking in the midst of the pandemic in between polygon video game episodes. I'm picking up what you're throwing down here. I know pepcorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, he's a hometown hero. I actually, I know someone who like went, like, I don't know, like, I, I know someone who knows someone who's roommates with him because he was oh, like, he awesome. went, he went awesome. to like a college in, uh, our, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really cool. <laughs> I got that one though. I got that one. I don't know a lot of pop culture, but YouTube culture, which is, I guess, becoming pop culture. I'm, I am more hip to the ways of the youth than my age would, would imply. <laughs> Yeah, I he I, says using words like hip. No, no, I I, I for sure get it. Uh, this is totally not about food, but like I can get YouTube, I can get Snapchat, I can't get TikTok. I've been trying, like I, I'm trying recently to get TikTok because there's an RPG community there. I want to meet it. I it's a glorious. The, the, <laughs> I I did for a while. I actually got TikTok before like the multiple scares of TikTok leaving, and by mm -hmm. the time that it was that all blew over, I just didn't care. I was too busy to go back. But um, the the amount of crossover between the cultures on like there's a lot of crossover in Twitter culture for TTRPGs, mm -hmm. but a lot of that is functional crossover. And what I mean by that is like there's a lot of art based stuff. So mm -hmm. like cosplayers and uh, dice makers and artists and illustrators and writers and players and DMS on Twitter, all there's a lot of sharing of knowledge in that space. Right. And in TikTok, it's a lot more cultural transitions where you have, uh, LGBT and kink talk and, and, uh, you know, like even into like less about, the cosplay side, but more like makeup tutorial, TikTok crossing into D and D and like exercise and things that where people are a lot more culturally active in what they're sharing under the same umbrella, where I think Twitter is a lot more functionally uh, similar in the levels of sharing that go on there. But I think it's still, I think it's really, really cool to experience. And I love the way that these different algorithms are exposing us to different you know, aspects of the world while still allowing us to come at them from some, a, a place of knowledge that we have. Like for me, it would be TTRPGs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I think that, I think that TikTok's a really good, it's a whole, it's a great hole to dive into. You don't, you don't necessarily have to produce on TikTok to get it. Like it'll get you. It's yeah, really what it does. <laughs> yeah. I Moss and uh, another one of our like not a Shrike staff member but works with the team sometimes Willa, uh, both of them are like five years younger than me, so I, I I'll be like, hey, can you help me make TikToks? Because I, I we want to get like Shrike, we want to see if we can get like some Shrike name out there and like you know talk a bit about like our stuff and you know I I'd like to think that my short form hot takes are fairly decent, so. <laughs> Yeah, I just realized that I I can't. I there's no way for me to talk about anything in a minute. Mm. Uh, that's why I host a podcast. That's it's usually you know about thirty to an thirty minutes to an hour per episode. Just kind of proves that for me to get one point across, I need a whole narcissistic show devoted to myself. But you know. <laughs>
so there's a you know we've we've kind of run the gamut um of of era of silence uh history of food history of ttrpgs in general uh is there anything in particular that uh we have not addressed either about actually i do know one thing um so we are coming up uh close to uh, here in the near future of uh era of silence being released on kickstarter now i know that that's not like a, a super hard line date so you don't have to give that necessarily but i think that if people are not following you uh and 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 keeping an eye on that kickstarter and being ready for that to drop i for one at seeing the uh the preview books will will vouch it looks really fun uh i i definitely think that's something that i would pick up and support um, but is there anything else that we have not, uh, touched on that you would like to get into in this episode today? I mean, I for sure definitely want to say November 9th, 2021. Uh, that's when we're launching the Kickstarter come hell or high water. Good. Uh, we're, uh, it, if you're looking, if you like the rules, but you know, the book's a little bit annoying, uh, the PDF by now, you're, you're definitely going to have access to the hyperlink PDF. So it's not going to be nearly as rough. But you're uh, gonna be in luck when you uh, we're releasing. We're going to release a better layout version. And while we do plan to put a uh, print version up for sale, and like some uh, nicer uh, like modules and such up for sale, the core rules will always be free in digital form. So you know, uh, don't worry if you can't support us on the Kickstarter. But if you can. Super follow us. Uh, if you look us up, I'll make sure that uh, uh, Brett has a link, but um, I will uh, also, uh, you can easily find us by Googling Era of Silence Kickstarter. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of. Thanks awesome. So well, me. yeah, like, yeah, no, we'll have uh, links for everything in the description. Um, there'll be some shout outs for sure. Definitely uh, follow Robin on Twitter at Shrike Tabletop. And uh, you can find the whole team from there as well. Uh, so, Robin, thank you so much for joining me today at the Dungeons & Dinners table. Thanks so much for having me. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found in the show notes. And if you want to keep in touch, you'll find that I am most active on Twitter at and dinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you're interested in supporting the show or want to hear the entire back catalog of exclusive bonus mini episodes like today's mini-sode with Robin, where we talk about how music affects us, writing playlists for gaming, lizard people with long hair, or you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing some coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why video gaming matters, hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by. 